As I walk through the inner city neighborhoods late at night, all I seem to see and hear amidst the fast cars, the sirens, and the streetlights is a field of dreams. Where children whisper visions into the wind with enough power to move mountains the size of towers as easily as flowers in the breeze. Yet, because of where they're from, capability has been reduced to a cap on their ability. And as I look at this place that some call a ghetto, I wish I could scream, come ghetto dream! Get them for cheap, get them for free! The desire to aspire for better is not a disease, but the hood is only like Neverland. It only exists if you believe. Mm-hmm. They sprinkle the dust over our nose so we keep our heads down when we sneeze and keep our eyes away from our truest possibilities. They call it Neverland because they never really want you to leave and if you're flying, they say, you'll never land because there's nothing left in these trees. Mm-hmm. So instead of reaching high to be the best that we can be, we reach for the needle to help us prove that this dream is reality. We prick ourselves with pain, prejudice, and poverty till we bleed or we scream, leaving holes inside our arms, inside our chests, inside our families. And I know society doesn't help to conquer this insanity, but I know Dorchester's not the hood. It's just the place between Mattapan and Roxbury. Mm-hmm. It's also the place where a lot of our young people are buried. And these fallen bones of our former visionaries to help make the hood fertile ground to turn the city of sorrows into an agricultural dream town where dreams are raised by the earful of children's laughter and after school programs read workers for the harvest. Don't you know it's after school when kids work the harvest? So as I pass by Pop Warner, I dare not mock their positivity because healthy bodies means healthy minds, healthy minds, healthy minds, healthy dreams. We should work in reverse because it seems a lot of these young kids don't make it past their teens. And the ones that live out their lives, their lives can't seem to live out their, their, their dreams because the seed of encouragement wasn't so much time to harvest. I want to live in the world, I want to live in the world where we lay foundations of our future, so that our young people dream, dream high, dream high, aim big, and let God handle the story as we get old. And they open the history, and they open the history books, the stories to help our people develop, our own develop by helping to by helping to overcome our difficulties instead of being the people handed over, handed over our dreams. Thank you. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Diamond Rivera of the Live Discussions with Diamond podcast, and you're tuned to another episode. And tonight, people, we have a really, really special guest all the way from the Boston area. But before we get started, this episode here, here, here will be live also on Thubuck Shot the Radio, but as well, you can hear this on YouTube. Facebook, and other streaming platforms. And people, tonight, we have an amazing guest from Boston, uh, one of the amazing members of the Ama Latina Boston edition, as well as many, many other projects. We have here the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Lemire, the <laughs> What's up, man? I, I feel like I should use my, my announcer, like, hello. <laughs> man uh it's, me honestly as we've talked also man you my friend are a man of many talents a person that i've been following over this past year with this pandemic but just seeing everything you've been able to accomplish from your dance career from your photography from your podcast that you have uh man honestly it's an honor to have you on tonight 
bro i i'm i'm like shocked like i've i've watched your show from from the beginning i haven't seen every episode but i've seen mm -hmm. it i popped in for some episodes and it's like i'm impressed i think it's great what you're doing and i think aside from the fact that it's well produced it's <laughs> it's documenting the history of a culture that otherwise would go unnoticed and so like i'm super grateful and i say all that to say i'm like Dude, I got, I made, look, mom, I made it. <laughs> Man, it. It's for me too. hearing those words is so special because exactly what you said, documentation, that's something that's very important to me. And I've even talked about that with certain guests of understanding that their voice, your story matters. Uh, you might not think it matters because most of the time, the conversations we're having were normally done privately with our friends in the hotel rooms, but now having uh, the same people that admire us or pay their money to come to events to actually see us perform that can actually learn something about us before they get to see us again, I think is awesome. Because for me, having this platform allows people to build a better connection with the artists that they love already. For sure. I think one thing I would always, I always say to my students, but I would always say to like, to like my peers, it's like these people that you dance with are not your friends. And I, and I say that in the sense that like, you have to take that extra step to become friends with someone. Like these are people you have an opportunity to become friends, yes. but you have to put in the work. You have to be accountable. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be trustworthy. You know, and I think the downside of the, the social dance community, at least from what I've seen, it's just like, not knowing that it it allows for those misunderstandings, you know. But I think what's great about your show is that you you allow us to like tear those misunderstandings apart because people are sitting down and talking, you know. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, uh, many people say change can't happen unless we do this. But yeah, I'm creating the conversations that's allowing change to happen because otherwise it would just be swept under the rug because. In actuality, I learned that the same issues that I've had, many people have those same things. But when we're going to a three-day event that you've been waiting six months for and saving up for, and when we come, we don't want to think about the pressures and everything else we go through outside. We're in a different world. We're kind of escaping from our own reality. But allowing platforms like myself and yours to happen help people understand that there maybe are people that think just like them. That absolutely like them because uh again like i've told many people this pandemic has brought a lot of self-reflection to me and mm. many people i've talked to because people are realizing how vulnerable they really are emotionally maybe even physically um yeah. mentally spiritually i mean because many people haven't been through a situation like this that they can't control so For sure you know, having platforms like yours and mine and many others is really inspirational and it helps other people cope and understand things maybe a little bit better. For sure. For sure. For sure. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of my first time at DCBX. I think it was 20, probably 2018 or 2019. First off, shout out to DCBX. Y'all are amazing. Yeah, shout out to Lee. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I, I mean, I was was my first major congress in like life changing but that aside i think that was the year that katrina hit and whatever year katrina hit i was my first time at dcbx and wow it was an amazing weekend you know i had like especially because just getting into dance and it was amazing and i remember the last day which you know sunday kind of hanging out you know you go to a late lunch 
And I remember watching on TV, looking at the, like the carnage that happened at Katrina that weekend while we were there, you know? So it's just like, I, I agree with you that when we're in that dance space, for some, for many of us, dance is like an escape. But knowing that if we really want to make change and make connections, it's like, despite us, you know, using it as an escape, we have to remember that these are real people too. Yeah. You know, when you, no, it's, it's true. Like when you kind of peel back the layers, you understand again, we all bleed the same, but we have our own experiences. And for me, having uh, this podcast allows me to learn a lot more about artists like yourself, because I, I know it's more than just what you do on a stage. It's more than what a uh, photo shoot you just finished. There's more to you than that. So having you on, that's really also the, the sole focus is to better understand the artists that I admire and many others admire. So, I mean, as we get started, always I love to understand, I always ask this question. The first one that hits up is who is or who was Lemire before dance? Um, you know, in, in some ways, I would say, I don't know, because uh, Lemire before dance was a, a different person. I started dancing actually, mm, I would say in, in high school. So my sophomore year of high school, um, I started dancing dance hall. That's my first dance. That's like my love. That's how I, that's how I see music is through a dance hall lens, uh, reggae dance hall, you know? And before then I couldn't dance. Like dance was a foreign concept to me. I didn't even, I always tell the joke that um, I didn't even know that there was a beat to be on, let alone to, <laughs> learn how to do I, I kid you not the beat was one two yeah one, two. my first party i was like <laughs> oh, you were that you were that. i was definitely and then i remember i went to a party i was in 10th grade it was like our dance high school dance or whatever and i saw this guy i'm like how are they moving so in sync together <laughs> at the same time this is i literally stood imagine you someone's like you're sitting there you know doing your, your your thing and this guy's like just staring at you and the girl and he's just like you know the meme with the numbers flash across the face oh yeah yeah oh man uh, uh that i mean <laughs> that was me i was definitely that dude and then the day that i don't remember the exact moment but i remember it was like oh the beat oh yeah. you dance all oh, on the aha uh -huh. okay all right i get it <laughs> oh, and, and and i've seen those moments with people when it, you, they're in that process of trying to figure out which beat to catch or what what hit and it's just not hitting yeah oh man god bless but uh to answer your question more directly um before dancing, I was really big into writing. Um, and I'm, I'm surprised that you even found that poetry video. Um, uh, 2019, I hosted uh, an open mic for a friend of mine. Shout outs to Anita D. Um, she came in town, so we threw a thing together for her. And so I did a piece when I was there. But before dancing, writing was the way that I would express myself. So I would write poetry all the time. I didn't perform because you know it just wasn't a thing, but I would I would write all the time. It's how I organize my thoughts. And that's how I would express myself. I wasn't mm, like super social. Like I was always in situations where I was the different one, mm -hmm. whether it it was switching schools all the time. Like I went to like I think four or five different middle schools for a number of different reasons, you know. Yeah. So I was always the other. And the one thing that was constant was writing, you know, and 
being able to organize my thoughts that way, like that became part of my identity. And then once the opportunity to dance came, it shifted from expressing it with my words to like expressing myself through my body, if that makes yeah. any sense. No, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense because uh, you found kind of one love and you, you went from one love to another one and realizing I myself, when I was younger, was really into writing because I couldn't find another way to express myself because of as a kid, you have those insecurities over time. But I really think through writing, it helped me as a person. Then when I'm able to speak to people publicly, I know how to uh, use my words wisely. For sure. And I definitely think that's something a lot of artists and creators when they're younger, whether it's a writing, uh, whether it's they, they love reading, uh, researching, what have you. But realizing too is that having kids have some type of arts early on, I think is really beneficial, uh, whatever art you choose. And, and realizing you have to allow the kid's mind to expand. And like you said, also, you feeling different, you feeling um, outside of the crowd. And there were many kids just like myself that had those times when we were younger. I mean, again, kids can be cruel for sure. <laughs> for sure, for so, sure. <laughs> you know, Listen, and, and I, I know I, all about that. <laughs> and of course, me growing up in New York, you growing up, I'm assuming you grew up in Boston. Yep, I did. Yeah, born and raised. This is uh, I, this is me kind of just changing things up and just curveballing it. This Go for question it. I have is what what do you, can you say life is like in Boston for a person who's not familiar with Boston? In your honest opinion, what have been the, kind of the biggest takeaways of living in Boston? Um, I would put it like this. Um, my, my first gut reaction is race conscious. Um, Boston is like segregated in a beautiful kind of way, you know, segregated in the actual sense of the word that there used to be certain towns where there were groups of a certain race or ethnicity. Like, let's say of old, a lot of Hispanics lived in JP, a lot of Haitians lived in Mattapan and Oh, the farther you go back, that would flip flop, you know, but the beauty in that is you have these rich like subcultures that are like untouched, you know, and so you can kind of learn from that. Um, the the other side of that is like Boston's a gem because it is small. It is a walkable city like you can walk all of Boston one day, but because of the the the, the microcosms of culture, it's yeah. like you can walk the whole city but you can live here for 32 years of your life and still never see all of it, you know? Wow. Um, so that's, that, 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 that <laughs> definitely says a lot. I mean, and there's definitely, um, it makes you just think, especially with that mm -hmm. answer. And in realizing too, I think you can also say that for New York, New York is big, but it's also in a weird way, people can live here for years and not really see all of New York. Um, for me, Boston, I would say, my experience when I was younger, because I was a child dancer since I was five, growing wow. up, going to congresses and events, Boston was one of those places I went to, had the pleasure of going to. Um, and for me as a younger kid, kind of in an adult world, I think being in that type of world since I was really young molded me different. The maturity mm. level or the pressure to be more mature at an earlier age hit. For sure. I was definitely in that phase because you can be nine, but you're not told to act nine when you're around adults. I mean, for sure. so, I mean, yeah. 
seeing that you, of course, being from Boston uh, and realizing also you are a dancer, when or how did dance, I mean, like you said, you went through understanding your love was dance hall. That's where it started. Where did that transition come that you got into salsa specifically? So it happened, I would say, probably again, sophomore year of college. I went to Framingham State, shout out to Framingham State. Um, but when I went, I went in 2006, Framingham State was a transient school, meaning that it wasn't like a big on-campus school. You had people from the neighboring towns who drive in and drive out. Um, it was also in the Metro West area, which is kind of outside of the city. And so what that means is there were a lot of there were a lot of white people and there weren't very many black people. I remember my orientation. It was like, so what's diversity like? And I kid you not, the direct quote was, yes, there's another Haitian. <laughs> you, you know, so I was just like, ah, putting my hand back down. Affirmative action. A lot. Like, we just had to, you know, we had to fit the status. We had to, you know. But, it's... <laughs> I say all that to say this, that their dance program looked different from my experience of dance. It was a lot of ballet, a lot of jazz, a lot of lyrical, a lot of technique-based dances. And dance hall, it has its own technique per se, but it's very free form, it's very creative, it's very expressive. And so when I'm around that environment, I'm like, well, I, I also wanna be able to call myself a dancer and have some kind of standard, you know? Yeah. And so my brother, um, shout out to Vlad, he's a, a ballroom instructor. He showed me like a salsa basic when I was in sixth grade and I just kind of tucked it back away. So by the time college came around, I was like, ah, let me try that salsa thing. That seems very structured. Yeah. You know? And so I, you know, I dabbled a little bit and that's kind of how it started, you know? Wow. I mean, realizing that your brother was kind of the, the catalyst, kind of the one that pushed, like you said, your brother's a ballroom instructor. I mean, yeah. the odds of that. And, and like you said, ballroom, um, is definitely a structured uh, art form itself. Uh, realizing uh, the salsa dancing that we know as well, it's a little more loose at times. Of course, it can still have technique, structure, lines are important, but uh, it's amazing to hear kind of that your family is already involved with dance, if it's not dance hall, actually being a professional instructor and you getting involved. When was that moment that you kind of went to your first social, in a sense, in Boston? So my first social that I went to, let me think. Um, you know, it, it wasn't even, mm, my first social was Havana. But before Havana, um, I used to do a lot of photography in Boston. Like I cut my like photography teeth doing like nightlife photography in Boston. Mm. And there was a buddy of mine. His name is um shoot I can't it's slipped my mind. He runs WBOP networking group, but he's a great guy. And he started a, a Latin night in Cambridge. He's like, oh, Lemire, you gotta come through. Blah 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 blah. So I I went there, had a great time. But they would play like one salsa song and then a myriad of like reggaeton. And so <laughs> after that, I was like. No, nah, I want to, you know, try this salsa thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was Googling around and then I found um, Risqué. Risqué was like a Wednesday night salsa thing in Boston. Mm -hmm. That was my that was my first, first one. And so once that closed, I went to Havana. Man, yeah. I mean, and I've heard so much about Havana. That's like yeah. the, the central place when people are like, hey, I want to go dancing, bachata, salsa uh, in Boston, or bachata especially. Havana was the spot. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I think too, like people have to also understand, like 
coming into the dance world, that's a really a whole different world. Mm. Like, you know, when you hit your first social, to you see your first performance, to you go to your first Congress, your first festival, it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes like, what are you doing this weekend? Most people are like, oh, I might go to the beach. I might go here. Oh, I'm traveling to a new state so I can go party for three days straight, maybe get some sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, so you being the novice dancer at that point, Yeah. Um, when did you feel you were ready to kind of go into a company and start learning from there? And again, adding to that, who was the first company that you were a part of or you felt like this is home and kind of started your journey from there? To be to be honest, I never felt I was ready. <laughs> to, that's the the honest answer. So I have a, a friend of mine. Shout out to Lauren. Uh, I was at Havana. By this time, I had kind of like figured out my my way. You know, yeah. um, my strategy was like, I don't dance stiff in any other dance style. I'm not gonna start here. I'm just gonna do what I do, listen to the music, and let it take where it take me. You know, a lot. Of and so <laughs> I was like, you know what? Just toss it out the window. Let's go, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was dancing with Lauren. She was a buddy of mine. And she was like, hey, you know what? You should join my, t- you should join this team. You should join my team. And I was like, I don't know my left foot from my uh, right foot. And, and so she's like, no, no, you should really do it. And so she had me dance in front of uh, Raj, Raj Hashindani. Shout out to Raj. Mm. And um, so talked to Raj. She's like, yeah, practice starts this date. And I was traveling out of town, so I didn't even make the first class, you know? You're already started. Yes, yeah, so I was like, you know what? This is, you know? But um, that was for Alma Boston. Uh, yes, I'm a, Latina Boston. I'm a Latina Boston. And so um, when I finally came to the second, you know, class, I was like, look, I don't know anything. I'm totally a newbie. I want to, you know, try this out. They're like, okay. And, you know, and I went through it. And then it was history from there. Man, I mean, and uh, let me just say, for me and my knowledge of uh, Ama Latina and the many franchises they have, I think you guys are one of the largest, if not the largest. I mean, I remember seeing some of your shows throughout the years, especially with Ama Latina Boston. And what struck me was the size of how many people were in the group. But not just that. Specifically, I can tell that you guys trained intensely. You guys really took it to heart of the choreographies that you were learning and had to perform. And it was real. When I saw you guys perform, I admired it a lot because me being a performer as well for many years, I thrive on having a connection with the artists. And I can feel, especially through Ama Latina choreographies, you know, it's, you can learn the choreography, but can you do the choreography? There's a difference. I mean, and we understand sure. the dance world. Like you now kind of showing us a glimpse into the journey of when you were a novice dancer, uh, when you started taking it serious. And then now you're part of an actual company. And now you're learning about the dance world. It's like, you know, now when you get out of work, you're going to a dance practice rehearsal uh, for, for how many hours? Uh, sure. In choreographies, now you're getting to perform on stages. What were the initial first shows like, or what was that first show like for you when you were performing? Um, You know, it was, it was kind of stressful. No, you know, I take that back. It wasn't stressful. I think my goal was like, if I want to do this, I want to be good. 
And yeah. so I was like, well, what what's that stand? Because there's no there's no such thing as good, but there's also like representations of like good in quotes, you know. So from the first practice, I was like, I want to practice like I'm on stage. I may never make it, you know. So when I got on stage, it was you know a natural transition. But I will say that over time, especially in the in the early days, like a couple of people were pivotal. Shout out to Tina Cavicchio. She was my first coach. She was oh, from Tina. Shouts out to like I was just there was one thing that she told me and I never forgot it. And I was like, and that literally changed the whole trajectory of how I perform, have stage presence. Like I'll never forget that. <clears throat> oh. Um I definitely want to give a, a shout out to Raj because without without Raj, I think Alma Boston, well, first off, Alma Boston wouldn't exist, period. But it wouldn't yeah. exist the way it was if it wasn't run by him because he's very meticulous, attention to detail, and I think yeah. that's what allowed it to grow. And so his influence of, like, all the tricks and all the extra things, you know, like, that also played a part. But, I, I mean, I definitely got to give a, a shout-out to Jenna uh, of Jenna and Louise because mm. back in the early days, before I knew what teams were, when I was going to Havana for, like, the first couple of times, I'll never forget it. They had a performance. I was like, oh, there's a show here tonight? Word. <laughs> and I just remember like looking on stage and I was just like mesmerized. And I was just like, look at that technique. I didn't know, I didn't know what proper technique was. I was just like jaw dropped. And to the yeah. point where I ran up on stage afterwards and I'm like, excuse me, hi, I, like, I, I don't know who you are. I think you just performed. I was like, I hope I'm talking to the right person. <laughs> I was like, I just want to tell you that like. Your guys' technique's amazing. Everybody's foot lands together yeah. and this, that. And so when it was finally my time to be on stage, I was like, that's what I want to be like. I might, I might not, I might not make it and look like that, but that's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> you know? And so that that molds that kind of attitude, you know? No, absolutely. And so then, as you said, with photography, as you talked about as well. Realizing you have your passion for photography, your passion for dance, was mm. those kind of an easy um, cohesion? Was it kind of easy to kind of mesh that world with the other world? Because I mean, of course, we know as dancers, who doesn't love a photo shoot? Who doesn't love to have their photos taken for shows, for promos, what have you? When did you realize for you that you could um, have those worlds coexist with one another? So they kind of happened accidentally. Um, mm. I started shooting like I started shooting in high school. So my senior year yeah. was my first, you know, but where I started was doing a lot of like nightlife events, like a lot of clubs yeah. and things like that. And, and that's what paid the bills. Outside of that, I did a lot of um, personal portraits and my my tagline was everyday beauty. And what it was is like in the time when I started, which was around 2008, 2009 when i started doing like a lot of like events there was a big focus on fashion shows and everything's high fashion everyone wants to upscale and yeah i would always ask like well, what about the girl at dunkin donuts what about the guy sitting on the street not a poor person just a person who happened like yeah. where's the beauty in that you know and so once i got to dance i had a friend of mine sasha she was the person that i would you know go out to socials and dance with she's mm -hmm. also a dancer and she's like hey i want you to shoot one of my dance shows and when I was watching her dance, it was like, it, it made me realize it's not about the shape of the body, which is so yeah. emphasized in like fashion in the other world. It's the shape the body makes, you know? So once that clicked, 
I was like, now I'm surrounded with people of different body shapes making different shapes. I was like, why, why wouldn't I spend more time photographing this than the other thing, you know? And so when that happened, it was like key in the lock, you know? I mean, absolutely, because we realized too, I mean, I've known many dancers that even have had a passion for photography or videography and make it work seamlessly. I mean, because so, like you said, at one point, nightlife film, nightlife photography was paying the bills. Yeah. So, I mean, this idea of filming in a dancing was not even a thought process probably before that moment. Because mm. again, it's about what's paying the bills. I mean, it right. could be a passion, but it's a whole different field when that becomes a job. When that sure. becomes a job, you have a total different responsibility. Um, and for me, too, as, as well as researching and you performing over the years, um, realizing that we're in that same social setting, but we also have different experiences. So my next question is, throughout your time of dancing, uh, what were some of the memorable uh, like Congress experiences or some of the your favorite uh, events really to go to? Um. I gotta say DCBX was, mm -hmm. it, it was monumentous because I, it was the first Congress that I went to, we were supposed to perform and we did, you know, and it was the first time being around the real dancers as I call them, you know, because <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in full imposter syndrome mode. I got, I got a couple rhinestones on my outfit, but they're not blinging like theirs is blinging. So oh. like, <laughs> you know, and so it was just, First off, I love DC. Shout out to the whole DMV area. Love it, you know? So I'm in like one of my favorite cities and I'm in this environment where everyone is just there for dance. You know, the yeah. like the, the lights, the classes, the busyness of like everything. And that granted, as you, you grow in the dance scene, you're like, ah, some of that stuff probably should be curtailed in a certain way. But like, if you're a first timer, it's just amazing. And I made like, really close friends that I'm still friends with now. And it was just yeah. wonderful. Um, other, uh, definitely shout out to um, BSF, Boston Salsa Fest. Mm -hmm. um, it's it definitely a good time. Um, it wasn't a Congress, but I went to Tijuana for um, an Alma training retreat. Oh and my so, God. Oh, I, I've heard about that retreat. Go. Go, I, just go. It's 10 days. Do it. I, no, I know about the process <laughs> because uh years ago, 2017. Yeah. Were you at the uh the Rosarito Fest? I had to leave right before Rosarito. I was there for the training, but I, I didn't stay yeah. for the Congress. Okay. So I yeah. knew because one of my really good friends, Oscar Valdez, the yeah. OGV was there filming and he told me about it. And then I saw the videos and I was like, Yeah, that's really intense. But I went to go film at Rosarito. Had an amazing time. Mm -hmm. Say, man, uh, those people from Alma can party for sure. I didn't realize today. <laughs> they definitely can party because, and, and the way I say that, I mean it honestly, but realizing like when I tell people for the person that doesn't understand the Congress lifestyle, when people are saving money throughout the year for a specific event that's only for three days. Oh, they go in. <laughs> I've been that person as a videographer in an event. This yep. was last year, the, not last year, the year before I was in Dallas. I came there literally that Friday at 5 p.m., did not sleep. I filmed throughout that whole showcase into the social. I did not go to sleep until 2 p.m. that next day. Yep. And it, 
people knew how tired I was because I literally went from showcase to social to the artist room where there was food and drinks and I can just sit there and people were just like, wait, you've been here since <laughs> I've been here, yes, yeah, since six yep. spring, I've been here, but I love it. I love absolutely uh, the ambience and ambiance and realizing, I mean, yeah, man, through COVID happening uh for us at one point wondering when the next social was we were gonna go to to see the friends we don't get to see that often because of work and everything changing and yeah. almost a day in days time and realizing um as i said a lot of times on this podcast how vulnerable our dance community was and yeah. really showed because realizing um that many of people in the dance scene. I wouldn't say many, but some really, this is their livelihood and realizing everything can change. And with this being a virus and our dance community, we thrive on connection. So not having that connection, like we like to be close. Let's just yeah. <laughs> Let's For sure. the way funky. For we sure. like to be close to one another. So having something like this uh, definitely impedes that. But my thing too is I'm hopeful for a better future. I'm hopeful for more understanding. I'm hoping that there's people like us in the world that are doing positive things and right things for our community that people understand because no longer can you tell us, I don't know what to do. Sure. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to feel. Mm. We're giving you the blueprint here. And this for actually sure. takes me now to my next question is, um, with COVID happening, kind of everything changing on its head, what would those initial times like for you going through that period while we were all going through it, through it while we were all going through it at the same time? Um, my very first um, reaction was relief, to be completely mm -hmm. honest. Obviously, it was like it's a deadly virus and people... Or being sick and the confusion of not knowing in the studio, you know, temporary closing down. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I was <clears throat> I was dancing on one team for Alma. I was teaching another team. I was taking salsa lessons and I was taking another bachata lesson with um, Jen Louise. And I was dancing on the weekend plus doing photography right. and having a full time job working. I work as a solar consultant during the day. So I was burnt out. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> when they're, they're like we're gonna close the studio for two weeks everything like everything that i was involved in involved interacting with other people in some form so like i had like a month of nothing to do now I was like this is not bad yeah. <laughs> this is cool you know um but it was kind of sad because it was right at the beginning of um of our new season of our uh, training team for yeah. for alma and this had been our, we were going into our fourth or fifth season of teaching. Shout out to Sherry Zhang. She was my uh, uh, dance partner and uh, co-teacher. And we we felt like we finally like hit our stride. We understood like how to connect with people at that level. And so yeah. we were really excited and they were doing phenomenal. Like they were like, like that probably would have been like one of our best seasons yet. So it was sad to see that we couldn't, you know, see them all the way through. Um, yeah. but at the same time, like the last thing I would say, I was very hopeful because when, when things at that magnitude happen, the, the first thing that comes to mind is there's an opportunity for success here. 
I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where it is. My my exact quote was like, yo, there's a bag in this for someone if you're looking for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And not that you're profiting off of loss, but it's like, how can I take this misfortune and turn it into an opportunity for something better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's kind of you self-reflecting and understanding, all right, what path am I going to take now? Because I've also realized too, and many people I've talked to, uh, that mental, their mental state was definitely affected. I mean, when something that they call a passion escape for their rea- escape from their reality, uh, mm. something they love doing for so long is taken away from them without their control. That's where you see people's true vulnerability. That's sure. where you see where people's mindsets are. I mean, o- over a year later, and we're still going through this, but realizing that with platforms like ours, we're helping people cope. We're helping people realize that maybe the thoughts they have aren't too far-fetched. Maybe the thoughts they have aren't too crazy. And that brings me now to my next question is, uh, you have an amazing podcast that I love watching, as long as with your co-host <laughs> called If You Stream It, They Will Come podcast. And I mean, me being a fan as well, I would love for you to kind of tell myself and the audience uh, the meaning and the vision behind that. So um, so the title is a, is a play on words for the movie uh, Field of Dreams, which is ironic because that's the, the, yep. the <laughs> So it all kind of ties in together. And, and the premise of that movie, there's a guy who owns a, f- a field and he hears the voice of God. He doesn't know if it's the voice of God, but that's what they attributed to in the movie. And the voice says, if you build it, they will come. He ends up cutting down a cornfield, building a baseball stadium, and he gets to watch like these ghosts play baseball and it revitalizes like the economy in that city, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the things that um I am known for among my my friends groups and acquaintance groups and circles is like never really having time because I'm running from one thing to the other. Oh, let me you always got all these things going on. Like, when do you sleep at? So uh, in June, I was like, look, I'm going to get on this live and I'm going to be here for an hour. All you people, you know, you wanted to interact with me. Here I am. <laughs> I'm going to be here for the next hour or some odd. I don't even know how to work a live, but I'm going to be here. If y'all want to see it here. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this as an experiment. If you stream it, they will come. Um, and the funny thing is like, I streamed it and they came and I was like, Oh, we have something here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you have something where you have people coming at 12 midnight to your show. Yeah. That's something there. To be completely honest, the show started at, it used to start at 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. It used to be a two-hour oh. show of me, like, monologuing and, like, talking to people on, f- through the chat. And it, yeah. the, and after the, the second episode, I was like, well, if I'm going to be up here talking and I can't see who's interacting. I should probably have a topic. So I have something to talk about for the next two hours <laughs> in the middle of the night for people who are exhibiting poor sleeping habits. I mean, yeah. from one to three, man. Oh, God bless. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard. But I mean, realizing too is that, like you said, you started to understand that you had to have a message. You have to have a focus because you're realizing there are a lot of topics that people are really and you know, intrigued by, and people want to hear other people speak on it just to see their perspective on things. And like you said, that social experiment um, became something. <laughs> so, I mean, I believe in that that notion of everything happens for a reason. I mean, when you, Absolutely. it's a very catchy name for sure. <laughs> um, 
realizing too is that yes. I mean, <laughs> just realizing as well then you adding the co-host and having another perspective, having ideas jump from one end to the other. I think that's also an amazing thing to see as well. I definitely want to stop and like give like a full stop. Big shout out to uh, Sherry Davis. Her name yes. is Sherry Davis. Sherry Davis. Uh, she's probably one of my oldest friends. I think we've been friends for 17 plus years. And so mm-hmm. it was on episode 12, we were talking about music. And I finally figured out my streaming thing where I can invite gets on. We had a great conversation. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, now that I can bring people on the show, I should have a co-host. And like, I kid you not, the next day, she's like, Lemire, last night was awesome. I had a great time. You know, if you ever need a co-host, I was like, <laughs> funny you ask. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one thing I will say is um, Sherry works for the Participatory Budgeting Project um, out in Oakland. And what it does is it allows people to be a part of the process of figuring out where the funds go in my city. We always complain, like, I pay my taxes. I do all these things. I don't know where the money goes. Like, so the participatory budgeting project says, no, this is how you get active with the money that's in your community. So she's already in that space, you know? And one of the things that I'm grateful for is that she came in and she took this idea that I have and yeah. she cleaned it up and she really made it a show. Like, not only does she have, like, an amazing personality, that she's an amazing person, she's creative, she's funny, well-spoken, she's black, black, you know what I mean? Um, But it's, like, her ability to take, you know, a gem in the rough and really polish it, but in a a way that's loving, but firm. It's, like, the show, the way it is now, wouldn't be anything the way it is without her. So I definitely got to give... Sherry, a uh, big, yes. big shout out. <laughs> big ups to Sherry for real. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just seeing that you could have, um, you know, a tag team, a, a tandem like yourselves and, and realizing too, the topics that you talk about are important. The um, conversations that you have are needed. So, I mean, mm. I, I, again, big ups to you, big ups to Sherry. And if you stream it, they will come podcast. And man, before we get to our last segment called The Randoms, my question to you is, with everything that's been going on this past year, we're, mm-hmm. hit, we're already in 2021. To think about it, we're literally, tomorrow's March 31st. It's about to be April. Wild. I mean, <laughs> and just seeing, I mean, how far we've come and everything, and of course with vaccines and things for people hopefully looking better, but I've also heard uh, New York cases are going up again. Mm. Um, for me, a question I do ask many people, and I would love to ask you, is what do you see is the future of our dance community? Um, I see it in two ways. Um, one possibility is going what I call the human nature route. Um, we will forget that this experience has happened. We will forget that these two years have happened. All the connection in in the feels Mm -hmm. of all that we're going through will be lost in a blip, partly because the new generation who didn't start with dancing had to stop. They will not have experienced that. And the, 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 I would say the natural tendency to, once things are good again, focus on the good. And I think it's kind of sad, but it's a possibility. The others, the, like the other way I see it going is it's like, you have real people connecting with real people in real ways, you know? Um, yeah. I always joke with my friends that 
once we are allowed to dance, it's going to be a 24 hour, just like dance marathon. And like 12 hours is going to be spent with people hugging and crying. Like we can touch each other. You I mean, know, as you see, <laughs> I miss your hugs. I mean, like, yeah. I love this oh, shirt yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, shout out to Fide's Designs. He designs the shirt and a number of many ones. Make sure you check out Fide's Designs if you want shirts like these. But, um, yeah, the future is we have the opportunity to really connect with people. I think, hmm. especially with the pandemic, especially with the, the lot of racial turmoil that's been, that happened to fall on this side, whether it be the Asian hate situation that we're going through now or the Black Lives Matter thing that we're going now, President 45, like all those yeah. things happened at a period where people who are escapists, which are like, I'm including myself, us dancers, we are, we are like talented escapists because we have a whole industry built on escaping the real world. We Provide had this alternate reality. To yeah, escape. you know, we not, and I don't say escapist in a bad way. Let me rephrase yeah. it. We we are we we have an outlet that's inbuilt to our daily life where we can kind of like um, go into a different reality and not deal with those hard hitting situations. We had all those things that affected almost everyone in the dance community and there was no outlet. And some people have been changed and have been impacted by that. And if that change is lasting, when we go into the dance community, like it'll be there, the compassion that we have for there. Like one of the things that has always like broken my heart is, is the way people treat people who are not skilled dancers, you know? And it's just like, hmm. Many socials, I won't put anyone in particular, you can tell. You walk in, you have the the good dancers in the front mm. sitting on the stage. You have the 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 midi middies, you know, I call them the people who sit in like in the middle. <laughs> the middies. The midi middies, you know. <laughs> they they sit in the middle, they do the thing, and then you have the beginners in the back, you know, and some in some places it's even unlit in the back. It's like, let me stand on the wall, and like they're neglected, you know, or like. I have like a lot of my female friends who are just starting. It's like, oh, this guy was trying to teach me on the dance floor and it just made oh. me feel really bad, yeah. you know? And it's just like, there's no, and it happens because there's no compassion. I, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, I please, please. Not even just that there's no compassion. I think there's no proper education being instilled because the thing is, like you said, from a friend, I believe you said her experience, that experience happens a lot. That actually hinders the growth of a new uh, generation of oh, a new community because when you don't learn what's right or wrong, everything is right, you know. And absolutely, things, experiences, especially with women with sexual harassment on the dance floor or at a congress or a festival, really, even at a social, like you said, even the experiences of someone trying to teach you on a social dance floor setting where other people are around unsolicited unsolicited <laughs> at least he didn't, at least he or she didn't pull out the phone with the cash app and just say send it here i, I mean <laughs> i mean if if that's okay i would rather you do at least i know you know yeah but i say all that to say this that part of that is fueled by the way the culture is set up and i don't mean this as a slight i mean this as someone who was on the outside Mm -hmm. looking in and then who came in, but who has also been in, in similar situations with different types of cultures. It was very clear to see that there's a superstar culture in the Latin dancing. For good or for bad, it just is what it is. The problem with that is 
you have people who aspire to be those superstars and they embody the traits that they think these superstars, not the, the traits that they actually have, they, as, they aspire to have the traits that they think they have. And oftentimes they think that that, that trait is arrogance for whatever reason, you know? And that thought of that aspiration translates to when they're on the dance floor. So when you see someone who's dancing on the wrong timing, is not really familiar with the music, doesn't have musicality and that whole, you know, can of worms. It's like, yeah. because that the person who's ahead or better wants to aspire to be a leader. They feel like in order for me to get ahead, I've got to treat this person as a, you know, a second class citizen, you know? Inferior, almost and inferior to your, yeah. And and the thing is, you say that, and I and I actually agree. Um, being in New York most of my life, but being able to travel, whether it's for dancing and performing or videography work and working with organizers and events directly. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it all. Uh, I've heard it all. Um, for me, realizing that with our social dances, our congresses and events, there's a lot of things that need change. There's a lot of things that need improvement. And the thing is, when we have these kind of conversations, this is where the solutions are being shown. Absolutely. There's no longer can organizers or promoters tell me they mm -mm. know what to do. Ex ah, listen, talk about it. <laughs> this, 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 this is why I, I tell people it's like, as you're doing your episodes and me now, over 100 episodes, that's over. Talk about it. Flex. Flex. <laughs> Flex, no, say it, that again. No, 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 no. We're gonna run that back. Flex. How many episodes? How over many episodes? Hundred episodes. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Since <laughs> June 2020, for me, it's dedication. But in reality, yeah. I'm here, it's really the documentation for me that that means so much because, mm. like you said, too, in a hit. If I, if me and other people weren't helping bring these stories. Who would actually listen to these stories or hear about these stories? For when sure. I'm hearing about the same dances we love and admire, mm -hmm. realizing how much they are as beautiful artists on a stage, they're also more beautiful as people. For and sure. realizing their stories correlated or coexisted or helped manifest it into a dance career, mm -hmm. or how they just landed there out of nowhere. Yeah, he had a brother who was a ballroom dance teacher, <laughs> influence, realizing with all the people that I have and will continue to have, yeah. learning people's stories. I tell people this, the greatest thing in life for me is socialization mm. because learning about other people helps me understand myself better. I tell people when, just yes. like tell our people, when we tell our kids, or we know people who tell their kids, mm. you got to go to school so you could talk to people. Mm. I realize also being in a military setting, uh, being in training at one point, having that deprived of meaning I only know 40 people in a room with me for mm. two months at a time. And I have to learn to coexist with people. Yeah. Beauty of socialization, the beauty of being able to socialize with someone learn about them. I may not like everything. They might not like everything about me, but mm. now we can't say we don't know something. For sure, for take sure. Take away the excuse of I don't know the people. I don't know what they're like. Perfect. Puts you two in a setting and you're going to learn to like each other. You're going to learn to understand each other at one point. But yeah. you know, um, 
And actually, you know what? I got. I really do have to ask this last question. Um, can you please tell us about the experiences you've been through lately? Uh, the amazing projects you've been working with with uh, Anara, Tina, Kyla. Uh, you guys have been doing something really intriguing over these past few months of uh, the. I would say the flexibility, and I don't know. Just it's hard to explain. Like you, you had some like courses of just doing a lot of aerobic work or just, I mean, I would say so, that I'd rather you explain <laughs> the recent, just amazing work you guys have been doing of late. So um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put it like this. So first off, uh, definitely shout outs to Anara Frank. Um, she is uh, a pillar in the Boston dance scene. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard that from a number of different yeah. people. And one of the things that she runs is the Med Movements um, Dance Company. Yes. And what we do is we, are an artist collective that provides support for dancers in the US, but also in Cuba and the Dominican Republic. You know, Anara is a trained gymnast. She's also a trained dancer of a number of different styles. And so I had the opportunity of working with her like years ago, but now in like a more of like a, a up close and personal kind of yeah. setting where I'm like a part of the team. And one of the things that we're doing is providing an outlet for people to still experience dance in the midst of pandemic. So part of that is our library of online video classes from Cuban contemporary, from Cuban dancing, from Cuban salsa, salsa, bachata, and flexibility. All that's online, it's accessible, it's monthly, you can, all that's there. But in order to provide that content, you've got to learn it. Yeah. You know, so I'm learning about flexibility. I'm learning about Cuban salsa. I'm learning Cuban contemporary and the the ability to the proof that you've learned something is your ability to give it to somebody else. And so in her attempt to pass it on, it's like if it's real, it's going to stick. But if it's real and it's going to stick, let it stick with the people in my immediate circle first, because if it doesn't work with them, then toss it. But Anara has this, this magical ability to, like, I don't know. There's, there's, there's no real word for it. I would just call it a magic ability of bringing out the best in the people that she's around, you know? And so the fact that we're around her, it's like she's bringing out the best in us for however long you stay, whether it's a minute or it's living in the same house. And people are seeing the expressions of that, whether that's yeah. through the flexibility, through the dance and all those kinds of things. So that's what's, what we're doing. I mean, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful. I mean, I think it's great how you can do a, a full backflip in your house and not break anything. Yeah. That yeah. right there is amazing. I mean, again, seeing that work that you guys uh, have been doing, I mean, even traveling, going outside of uh, the country and, and just having that camaraderie with one another, uh, building with one another, and succeeding um, yeah. of a success. Uh, just seeing the joy in people when they're able to do something they've never done before. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's beautiful. So now it kind of brings us to our closing segment called sure. Randoms, which is about <laughs> 10 questions that allows okay. myself and the audience to get to know you a little bit better. But before okay. we get started... We have Gennaro Ramirez here from Meta Movement's house, saying, whoop, whoop. as well as Caitlin Nancy representing here. Crew in the building, yes. And uh, as well, uh, Gennaro saying back tuck for days. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> yeah. so I learned how to do that flip this year. I'm 32 
and it was on my bucket list and it happened. So it's a big deal. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I'm, I just turned 30. So if I can do a backflip in my thirties, then I'm doing, I think I'm doing things pretty well. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so all I need to know, man, is when you are ready. I got, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Number one, what is your favorite food? Bacon. Just straight bacon. It, listen, Dunkin' Donuts, when they had the snack and bacon, I was like, listen. They, do. they still do. I, at first, I was like, this is a shame. Who should be fired for this? Like, terrorizing the weights of all of our children, but also, put it in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely want to blame some snack and bacon right there. So, so basically, you are one of the cheapest dates, I guess. Just take you to Dunkin', buy Man, listen. two bags of bacon. I mean, iced coffee, maybe two for five. I don't know if we're going there yet, but. I mean, I like what I like. <laughs> I don't discriminate. All right, next one. Next question is, if you could be at a social right now, you could have one song only to dance to, what song would that be? Um, wow. Wow. There's one song. Oh, it's a salsa song. I'm trying to remember Ooh. the name. Uh, uh, um, mm, Oh geez, I don't remember the name of it. It's uh wow, I, I'm I'm like totally blanking on the name, but it's a salsa song. Uh I don't even know. Right. I like it'll come back to me and I'll like middle right. of the night like ah okay. All yeah. right. Next question this actually kind of is connected to the last question is if you could dance with one follow, mm -hmm. who would it be? Mm, someone I've never met before. It yeah, it could be someone you've never met before. Met before? before. No, that, that's 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 my answer. Like it would oh. be someone I've never met before. Like I think the experience of dancing with a new person is like so rich. Like, like that's irreplaceable. Like as as much as I love the people that I I've danced with before and had amazing yeah. dances, doesn't beat it. You know, I, I want to dance with a stranger. Wow. I, I love that. I mean, honestly, I really do love that. I mean, because just the kind of appreciating the unknown, because yeah. you never know that next dance could just be so memorable, rather than you kind of telegraphing everything and you already know what's going to happen. But I, I definitely respect that. I love that answer. Next question is, what did Lemire want to be at 10 years old? At 10? I wanted to be a scientist. Mm -hmm. I like yeah. molecular biology. Is there any? Um, the the real answer is a mad scientist. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely wanted to be like a, a scientist with the beakers. I didn't know that that was chemistry back then, but I was like, yeah, I want to be like a scientist. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I like that. All right. Next question is. What is the funniest moment you've ever had on stage or the funniest moment or the most embarrassing moment you've had or seen someone do? Um, the funniest moment that I've had is like all seven times I split my pants last season. <laughs> uh, so for our final routine for Alma, uh, Boston, our advanced team, there's a jump split that I do. In the Was it the red and black routine? No, shout outs to the amateur team. Ugh, they're amazing. I love them. Um, no, it was the all blue. We were in all blue. Okay, okay. It's the one that's my profile picture. And in the middle of the song, there's a, a jump 
straddle mm-hmm. pike, what happens in the air. And I would say seven out of the 10 times that I perform that routine, I split my pants right down the middle. <laughs> oh, I split my pants in a pink outfit with polka dot underwear. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, the funniest what, one that I, so mm-hmm. good. No, what are you saying? I was going to say the funniest one that I've seen is shout out to Sherry Zhang. Uh, she was dancing in same performance and her heel broke off and she tossed the shoe and she got busy. <laughs> she got she got real busy. I was like, yes, that's I mean, how we do it. <laughs> the show must go on. The show Absolutely. definitely must go on. I, I love it. I love that answer. Next yeah. question is partner work or shines? Mm. Like right now, I would say shines because it's mm-hmm. like there, there's something about just like feeling the music and dancing for yourself. It's just amazing. Just like mm-hmm. groove and get into it, you know? Okay. All right. Next question is, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Mm, I would say super speed. Smart. Yeah. Just get everything <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now, next question. Who are who, I need three of your top favorite follows? Three of my top people you know, people that I know, my three favorite follows. And I would say what I mean, you know, is no of as well, not mm. to say like you know personally, but I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. My three top favorite follows. Hmm. So uh, one of them is Katie. Um, she's not a big dancer in the Latin scene, but she's a big sl- dancer in the blues scene, and it's just like it's magical. Like, and like it, it, it's like we have the same brain. It doesn't matter what happens. It's like I go left, and I meant right, and she moves right, and it's just butter. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and it doesn't matter the style. We could be dancing too. Salsa, bachata. We can be dancing to blues. We can be doing salsa to blues, and it's just like magical. It just works. Yeah. Um, the next one, and then, and I say this in no particular order, is um, uh, Elizabeth Blumenthal. She's probably like my top favorite dancer mm-hmm. of all time. Again, same situation, same regardless of style. It's just like favorite. Like, yeah. You know, just always. Um, and my. Third favorite of all time? Mm, I don't know. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I used to have a running list of top three, but I can't think of. Mm. Yeah, I can't think of the third one, but I'm sure it'll come later. Yeah. All right. Next question. Oh, second to last. Second to last question is: What yeah. is a special talent that many people wouldn't know you have? Mm, a special talent that people wouldn't know that I have uh, that I write poetry. I don't think people know that. And it's not really something I broadcast either. So it's, it's not something that's public knowledge, but yeah, I write a lot. I mean, it's a, definite, it's a definite skill for sure. Yeah. And it definitely takes a talent because as well, myself having that experience doing open mics, like, yeah. It's much easier, I've realized, I can honestly say it, it's much easier performing, dancing in front of a Congress than it is doing an open mic in front of 10 people. Oh, for sure. So, I Absolutely. mean, like, 
when I'm saying for me, having that experience of doing open mics in front of larger crowds, smaller crowds, the smaller crowds are the ones that really hit you because you feel the heat, you feel mm -hmm. the energy, you feel the face, uh, the facial expressions, the stares. And, you know, for me, seeing a person like yourself who's been able to um, have that open mic experience and your dance experience just like transition seamlessly, mm. it, it really speaks volumes. And um, that brings me to my last question. I love asking this one. It goes like this. If you're on an island, but disclaimer, there is no Wi-Fi on this island. Three things that you would have to have with you. Mm -mm. I'm on an island, no Wi-Fi. Three things that I would have to have with me. Um, I would say like, like a knife or something that I can use to help build and create. Um, I would say. Part of me says like a book something that I can keep myself entertained with. Mm -hmm. And then a sense of wonder. Oh. Yeah. I think with those three things, like the ability to create something, a reference of something that's created, mm -hmm. and a sense of wonder to reinvent the second with the first is like, that's all you really need, you know? That right For there deserves a snap. <laughs> that, that, that sounded like... <laughs> Yeah, that sounded like you just uh you freestyled that, that was a new piece coming out. I mean, since, I mean the next title of your next piece should be called A Sense of Wonder. I got that. I, mean, I got you. Yeah. I got I'm, you. I'm helping. I'm helping you. <laughs> that um, I you got know, you. Lemire, I really want to thank you so much for doing this segment. Uh, I definitely think be between the beginning of our talk till now, uh yeah. me learning a little bit more about you is really important because for the artists that I admire, like yourself, uh, having the opportunity for people to also see the human side to you is so much more important than what you just do on a stage because everyone can see that from a YouTube video or a post. Uh, but now hearing about your life and your experiences or some of your experiences thus far today, I mean, it's awesome. Um, I, I've been, it's been a great time, uh, but at least before we go, I'd love to know if you had any last few words for myself in the audience, but also contact info on how people can reach you and see what you have in store uh, for the future. Um, last words, I would say, bro, keep doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so necessary. And like, you, like, you probably have an idea now. You won't realize how necessary what you're doing is until 10 years from now. You're randomly scrolling through Facebook. Be like, I spoke to this person, spoke to that person. Um, quick story. I did a photograph for someone's 62-year-old birthday by mistake, you know. Mm -hmm. Ten years later, they call me to do the photo shoot for their son's first birthday. They mm. told me that the majority of the people that I photographed, not the majority, a lot of them have passed away. So what I thought was just a birthday party is the last living memory that they have of those people. And like what your podcast is doing. That, that's what you're creating. Who knows where we're going to be five years from now, five minutes from now. It's like, you're, you're, you're capturing that. And I'm like, yo, I don't care what it takes, bro. Keep doing it. Just keep going. Keep going. I appreciate that. Um, words to the audience. Hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'll be out giving hugs once we can touch people safely again. So there's that. Uh, contact information. You can find me at L-U-M-Y-R-D on Instagram. Uh, same thing on Facebook. If you want to check out the If You Stream It podcast, that is at If You Stream It podcast on Instagram and all social media. That's also the website, If You Stream It podcast.com. You can check us out over there. If you want to see some of the photography, it's at P-B-Y-L-D. That's at P-B-Y-L-D, at Photography by Lemire. Um, and if you go to any one of those three places, you can get in contact with me. I'm always online. You can send me a message. I'm really accessible, you know. Man, thank you, man. Honestly, Amir, from start to finish, it's been great. Uh, it's been really revealing. I love the honesty, the transparency. Uh, for me, seeing that um, you are one of the focuses, especially in the Boston community, the creatives that I've been seeing that have really just kind of been pushing the envelope uh, genuinely, doing it from a, a, with doing your work with good intentions, and that's the main focus. And for me, like you said, I've thought about it and I realized the responsibility I have of having people like yourself telling, having you tell your stories from your opinions and your beliefs uh, in your own words. Because I think no one can tell someone else's story better than they can. Um, for sure. You know, sure. having you on has been amazing tonight. Uh, I and, and I really say for many people, this is just a glimpse into your life and I'd love to have you on. For a future episode, maybe a Boston edition. We have uh, four or five uh, some yes. favorite Boston artists here. It might be a surprise. It might be planned. We'll Bean Town. Yes. So we'll definitely get into that. Ask some really amazing questions about Boston. See what's really going down in Boston. But I want to thank you. I want to thank everyone that's been able to tune in uh, and everything. Thank you all again for an amazing episode. I'm here, Diamond Rivera, along here with Lemire Derissier. Hopefully I said that right. Yeah, you uh, got it. <laughs> big ups uh, to everyone who's tuned in. Big ups to Boston Heavy. Um, I love everyone. Everyone, again, be safe. And everyone, we will see you next time.